Shareable is part of C-Suite Radio. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this either is or will become your favorite podcast. This is Shareable, the podcast so good, you got to tell someone about it. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard. In every episode, I talk with someone about the impact that people and technology have had on their career and their lives. So, let's get to it. Today on Shareable, my guest is Denise Lee Yan, and she's the go-to expert on brand building for national media outlets, and she's an in-demand speaker and consultant, as well as an influential writer. She's also the author of the best-selling book, What Great Brands Do, The Seven Brand Building Principles That Separate the Best from the Rest, and also the ebook Extraordinary Experiences, What Great Retail and Restaurant Brands Do. This conversation was fantastic, and I really hope that you stick around for the entire thing because there's lots of great information, advice, and tidbits. This is Shareable. Welcome back to Shareable. Today, my guest is Denise Yan. It, remi- it rhymes with John, but it's Y-O-H-N. That's how I remember it. Denise, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. No problem. I want to dive right in, and we were talking a little bit before we even got started today about um, technology, and and we kind of were setting up the stage for what this conversation was going to be, and uh, you really kind of whet my appetite to get into this. So where I want to start just to set the stage so that everybody knows who we're talking to and, and kind of where you are in the technology world, I like to ask people how you use the internet and technology. Are you kind of an early adopter? Are you a late adopter? Are you someone who kind of waits and sees until something's going to pass? Um, when you use things like social media or email, uh, you know, are you somebody who creates a lot of content or you just kind of sit back and watch? You know, give me the high level. How do you use the internet and technology? I think if I were to classify myself, I'd probably say I'm on the cusp between like probably like a late adopter, you know, so if you think about Jeff Moore's um, crossing the chasm and the, the, the bell curve, I'm probably like right at the top of the curve. I mean, so meaning that I'm not um, an early adopter or pioneer by any sense of the word, um, but I, um, you know, do rely heavily on technology and tools and the internet. And to answer your question about how I use it, um, you know, I am in front of a computer. Uh, if, if I'm not speaking on stage or if I'm not consulting with clients, I'm usually in front of a computer. So um, I rely heavily on um, my PC and um, the internet for research and, you know, all of my documents and content creation is on my computer. Um, and then yeah, obviously my cell phone, I, you know, I, I, uh, I don't sleep with it. It doesn't actually, it doesn't go into my bedroom at all, but it is, um, with me pretty much every waking hour. That is so, smart, by the way. I, I recently took my cell phone out of the bedroom and it has been wonderful because now I wake up and I do this thing. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called thinking. I do that as soon as I wake up <laughs> instead of looking at my phone. It's phenomenal. Wow. You'll have to, you have to show me how to do that. Yeah, I was going to write I was going to write um, an article Actually on it. in all seriousness. Yeah, I think you should. Maybe you would think about writing the article about thinking. Um, actually what I do, I, I work out every day 6 days a week and so I get up, I get dressed, I go to the gym and then when, finally when I come back from the gym, so I've been now up for at least an hour and a half, I will then make my way to my computer and my phone. So there's really a good chunk of time in the morning where I am completely unplugged and I love it. 
that is fantastic because it's so easy to let technology completely take over our lives and, and we become so addicted to these devices. We walk around with our head down in the street. So it's good to hear that you're pretty balanced about it. Try to be. Yeah. So <laughs> let me ask you this. Let's move into kind of from that question. Now that we've set the stage, can you talk to me a little bit about how in your career the internet and technology has impacted it, either positively or negatively, things it's enabled, uh, course corrections and changes? How has the internet and technology shifted how your career has played out? Well, I think, you know, as evidenced by this podcast, it has been wonderful in connecting me with new people. Um, you know, I, we wouldn't be having this conversation if we didn't have technology, if you didn't hear the podcast that I was on before. And, you know, just like, and and you are probably one of like hundreds of people that I've met this way. And, and even, I would say even thousands of people who I haven't spoken to personally, but that I interact with regularly through social channels um, or, you know, even through my, my newsletter or even through just email or whatever. Um, so, I think it's it's been a wonderful connection tool for me. Um, I love how I can um, be connected to people in um, Brussels, in um, Sao Paulo, um, in uh, New Zealand, and um, we can share insights, we can learn from each other, we can laugh. Actually, um, there's a, a wonderful woman, Chris Rock, in Germany that I've developed this friendship with, never met her before, but just love talking to her and love connecting with her um, online. So I, I think it has been transformative in terms of uh, my, my career and, and, um, the, the, and really a, a tool for the success that I've had. Talk to me a little bit more about that. So you've met some incredible people, people that you now know across time and geography. You learn from one another. You laugh with one another, as you said. But in your work, you've, you've got a background in branding and advertising agencies, working with some massive clients like Unilever, et cetera. Um, you know, how exactly would you say um, your career has shifted as a result of it, at least in, in recent years, any new opportunities come along? I mean, this podcast is, I think, a great example. You know, I heard you on Six Pixels of Separation. I was like, that is a smart lady I need to talk to. And um, that's why we're here. Beyond that, though, you know, you're, the world of branding and advertising specifically is always changing. And I know you have a lot of thoughts and methodologies. You've written a book. What exactly would you say has been impactful in the way that it's changed your thinking or, or your approach to what you do? Mm -hmm. Well, I think these connections, number one, have introduced me to brands I would not have been familiar with um, before. And I can learn a lot just from studying those brands. So, for example, um, uh, last year I, I had a speaking engagement in Brussels. Um, I, was, I was asked to make sure that I didn't just talk about North American brands, and so I really wanted to better understand um, European brands. And um, as part of the speaking engagement, they had actually hooked me up with actually a couple of journalists who wanted to interview me, um, you know, to write features on the conference I'm going to be speaking at. But um, so one of the one of the journalists I spoke to we, after he interviewed me, we ended up just kind of talking. And I said, you know, I said, hey, I'm doing research for my talk. Tell me about some of like the cool brands that you're interested in or you think that I should I should look at in preparation for my talk. And he, he named a few and I ended up I'm finding about uh, finding out about two grocery store chains. Um, I'm probably not going to pronounce their names correctly, but one is Colrut, and the other is Delaz. And they um, are very interesting in terms of the way they the two different positionings that they have, and they both compete very well in the same market. But it's just fascinating to kind of see that contrast. So I talked about that contrast. 
in my talk that I gave in Brussels. And then actually um, next week I'm speaking at another um, event and, and they explained that they were going to, and this one is in the U.S., but they explained that, you know, they're, they're going to have clients flying in from all around the world. They wanted to make sure that I could use examples, you know, from other areas. And I'm like, well, I want to share what I've learned about these two grocery store brands because I think it's fascinating. I think, you know, one is a very high-end, exclusive, um, you know, kind of gourmet position. And the other is their tagline, I think, is like no frills, best prices. Um, and it shows how you can thrive as a brand at both ends of the spectrum. So it's just given me, you know, having these connections, it, I would say, number one, has given me exposure to learning about brands in other cultures and other geographies. And that has just expanded my understanding of how brands work. One of the things I love is that you just connected two things. You know, this show is really about uh, technology and people. And what you just did there so eloquently, know, whether you know it, you did it or not, is that you, you connected those two things beautifully, that it's really technology is connecting you to one, to people, and technology is connecting you to information. And those two things giving you those opportunities you might not otherwise have had. So in, yes. in moving directly from the technology into the people, can you talk to me a little bit about maybe someone who's had a huge impact on your life, maybe one person that's impacted either your business or your life. Um, and, and tell us a little bit about that. Um, like now, now, do you want me to use an example of someone that I've met from far away or it, someone? It could really be anyone. The, what I'm really curious about is you've had a, like a really fascinating career just watching it from the outside. Now, you know, we, we know each other only so well as having this conversation on the podcast. <laughs> I've heard you a little bit, you know, we had a little bit of back and forth, but, but, you know, you've come uh, to a point in your career where you've done some pretty amazing things that a lot of people would, you know, really be envious of having the opportunity to work with some of the brands you've worked with, do some of the traveling and speaking you've done. Talk to me a little bit about someone who at some point in your life, it was a moment, something that really triggered in you, a way of seeing the world differently or a way of behaving differently or something that put you on that pathway to the success you've had. Yeah, um, I would say that clearly happened when I worked at Sony Electronics. Um, I was hired there in 1999 to head up their kind of first ever brand practice. I was kind of like amazed that before me they had never had anyone who was responsible for like as a brand manager or you know anything like that. Um, and I, I uh, was recruited out of an agency to go work at, at Sony and and um, the uh, chief marketing officer at the time was a guy named Scott Edwards. And I would say that he probably, in terms of um, the way I think about brands, um, the way I think about, like, culture, the intersection of, of like, um, consumer culture and brands, um, the way I think about interacting with my clients, um, just lots of different things he taught me. Um, it, you know, through the probably what three years that we worked together. So I would, I would, I would attribute a lot of um, my learning to him. Was it a matter of being exposed to new ideas, being challenged, being pushed, uh, being nurtured and, and encouraged? What would you say was the the method by which uh, that that put you on that right path? Yeah, all of the above, really. Um, and then I would also add, um, he believed in me. Like, what we were doing at Sony, just to, just to kind of sell a little bit of context, is that even back in 1999, I think that um, it was becoming um, clear to some people that um, Sony was losing a little bit of its luster. 
And so Scott, um, who, as I said, was the chief marketing officer and then the president of Sony Electronics at the time, a, a wonderful um, man named Fujio Nishida, um, really were convinced that we needed to reinvigorate the brand, but we weren't going to do it the standard way of like running some huge brand campaign or, you know, doing something externally oriented first. We were actually going to start inside. We were actually going to ensure that we had the brand engagement and brand alignment and brand focus within the organization um, that would then sustain whatever we did on the outside. And and um, that has been a very formative thought for me in, in all of my work ever since then. Um, so, I mean, definitely, you know, kind of teaching me and um, encouraging me to research and to learn in that area. But um, he, he, I started about saying that, you know, he believed in me in the sense that this is something new, I think, for him, um, for me, um, certainly for Sony. Um, but he kind of was like, it, you know, that... That we, he was fearless in the sense of we were. This is what we were going to do, and this is what I was going to do. And I, you know, led up this charge. We created this. Um, we created lots of really cool things as part of this effort. But one of the things is we created this um, uh, online toolbox that was this rich, dynamic, interactive web experience, which back in 1999 was pretty forward-thinking. I have to say. Um, and, you know, he just was like, this is what we're going to do. Let's let's do it. And so I think, you know, believing in me um, was important and also role modeling. You know, um, I learned a lot from the way particularly that he interacted with Nishida-san in the sense that, you know, he, he um, was not like your typical uh, employee who just kind of executed what his manager or his supervisor wanted him to do, but he, but Scott was always adding value, um, pushing the thinking, advancing the organization beyond his, his scope of, of responsibility. And I just really learned a lot about what it takes to be an effective player in, in, in a company and, and um, an effective contributor in any role, um, just by watching what he did. That is so awesome. I, I love that you focused specifically on starting on the inside, that the, the collaboration between you um, and and your boss at the time, uh, your mentor, about looking to the inside rather than just running brand campaigns on the outside. So much of the work that I'm doing on, on our side uh, in my company is about internal engagement, employee engagement, employee education, and how all of those things really impact a company's ability to communicate externally. That if you don't have that alignment inside, how are you ever going to communicate effectively and consistently to the outside world? Yes. And now, Jeff, we are getting into a real passion area of mine because um, so my first book, What Great Brands Do, the very first chapter is is called Great Brands Start Inside, you know, meaning that you start brand building inside. Um, but I um, have decided to really uh, explore that concept a lot more. I've been writing a lot more about it. I've been thinking a lot more about it. And my next big book is going to be about the intersection of internal culture and brand. So um, this is an area that, I, that I'm uh, convinced is the next frontier for um, you know, driving growth in, in companies. Well, since this is a passion area, I'm going to go a little bit off script with you here and say, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about that? A high level, what's the premise? What, what, do you, what, what is this yeah. rabbit hole you're digging into? Yeah, okay. Um, so, you know, their culture has become such a pop, or like a workplace culture has become such a, I think, a, a popular um, topic and, and a prior top 
popular priority for business leaders in, in the last few years. I think that you know pretty much anyone you talk to understands that um, having you know an engaged and happy and satisfied workforce is, is really key to you know productivity and retention, even recruitment, et cetera. Um, but I see that there's a missing link between culture and brand in the sense that most most um, companies that I've observed really develop them separately. You know, culture is something that we do to engage our employees. You know, we uh, create fantastic benefits and give them perks and try to create this employee experience that is engaging and satisfying. And then over here, we have our brand, which is what we want to stand for in the world and how we want to engage our customers and, you know, um, like almost an external image that we are projecting outside. And I, I think very few people actually put like their like core brand values at the center of their organization and then use that to shape both what they're doing internally and what they're doing externally. So it really is about this fusion between brand and culture that I think, is, like I said, is really the key to to growth and thriving and flourishing and, and really um, kind of future-proofing your organization. Because I think that if you have that locked in, um, then not only will you ensure that you've got great talent who is producing great results, but you also have a, you know, a great brand out in the marketplace that is valuable to your customers. That's fantastic. And, and I think um, I've said for a long time when it, when it comes to ac- like the external side of brand that your brand isn't what you say about yourself. It's what your customers say about you, especially in today's day and age where the customer is so much of a, a prominent voice. I think to your point, um, it, it sounds like what you're saying is that it's equally true when you're talking about the employees inside of the business, that they are also shaping what that brand is. And that when you have, in my mind, it sounds like when you have a congruency between what the customer says, what the people on the inside of the company say, and what the brand, the company itself says about itself, you have this alignment where you really get truly what the brand is, in, is intending to be. Absolutely. I think that that alignment is so powerful. And, and, you know, if for no other reason, although there are lots of other reasons, but if for no other reason, then I think customers these days, um, you know, can see right through if you are, you know, saying that you are one thing and then you're operating very differently inside. I mean, we all can do, can and do do research and hear all about the companies that that you know of the pro- that produce the products and the brands that we buy, and I think that just customers, are, you know, are not interested in companies that um, keep these two things separate. Yeah, I completely agree with you. That's fascinating. It's such a good point of view, and I think that's that's definitely something. Um, when your book comes out, when that next book comes out, I am I am going to be one of the first in line. So, uh, and I want to sign a copy. <laughs> oh, sign absolutely! Copy. Yeah, my would be my pleasure. All Thanks. Right, cool. I'm glad and, we're bonding over this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm so I'm so in it and in, in this idea. I have a, I have a, a Venn diagram I'm going to send to you of something that I was just sketching on a plane once, and I, I think you'll like it. But I even after cool. this episode is published, once that book is published, I'm going to come back. I'm going to make sure that I put it in the links here, and I'll put it on our reading list on the website as well. Um, that sounds great. So let me ask you, I want to I switch to a slightly different topic, but something that's, that's still very relevant about uh, your career path. And, you know, I feel like as, as we progress in our careers, I mean, I'm, I'm 36. I'm, I've been running my company since 2011. Every day I'm learning something new about business, about people, all sorts of things. And there are all of these lessons that I think to myself, damn, if I had just, if I could just go back in time, and give myself this piece of advice, 
I could have saved all of this heartache or I could have advanced my career so much more. What would you say is the big lesson that you wish you had learned earlier in your career? Can you think of one that if you could go back would have saved you all sorts of heartache or uh, time and stress or whatever? Well, now, Jeff, you're asking me to be very vulnerable. <laughs> and um, and I will I will play along and tell you that I think that the number one lesson that I wish I had known a long time ago was um, to be authentic and to be real um, in, in my work life. You know, I think um, from very early on in my career, I think I always it kind of you know this is a little bit of a parallel to a, the brand conversation we were just having in the sense that I kind of felt like there was an image that I needed to project. I you know I needed to appear older and more experienced and like I knew what I was doing. I remember my first job, like just cringing whenever someone introduced me as kind of like a recent graduate because I was just like, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm much smarter than that, right? Um, and, you know, I think for probably, and now I've been working for over 25 years. So I would say, you know, probably only in the last few years have I really, you know, realized how detrimental trying to be something that you're not really is, you know, because I think it gets in the way of people of really good relationships that you can build with people. And, um, and, uh, I think leaning more into your natural strengths and, um, kind of, uh, sharing more about yourself personally. I think all those things really help have helped me be more effective in recent years. And I guess I just wish that I had found that out earlier because, um, I wouldn't, yeah, I think I would have been more effective just in my job, but I think I would probably would have been happier and less stressed also. Well, it's interesting because when I asked you the question, you said, well, now we're getting into vulnerable territory, <laughs> but exactly what we're talking about, what what your point is, is wish you could have been more yourself, which requires a level of vulnerability of, of, of being who you are and not being afraid of that and not being afraid of having to project, you know, a particular image and instead just being yourself. So... Interesting that yeah, you, you led yeah. with that we're getting into territory. <laughs> well, and, you know, I think it's hard, especially when you are younger and you're just starting out. And and particularly, like, uh, so when I um, started my own consulting business now, that was, like, what, four, 13, 14 years ago. I mean, you know, you want to inspire confidence. You know, you want people to think you know what you're doing, right? <laughs> and that when they when they hire you to do something, that their money is well spent, and they're not, you know, they're going to get the result that you promised them. And so, I think that there is, you know, there is. I felt even I think more pressure then than any other time in my career to kind of project this image of okay I've got my act together and and I think you you need to I mean like a client who if you were to be like well I don't know the answer to that you know I mean I don't think a client's really going to value very much but I think that just I think being more um you're just allowing yourself to um interact with people more on a personal level really get to know people more personally Talk about your, you know, your life outside of work and what's important to you as a person and, and how those things shape the way you do your work. I mean, all of that, I think, really goes to having these, like, better relationships with, your, with people. And so, um, it, it, you know, I guess I, I, the reason why I say all this is to say that, I, you know, vulnerability is hard. And certainly there's still, an, I think, a need for um, people, at least in the role, kind of role that I have, to inspire confidence. But, um I think you can do both. Do you think that 
Do you think that the um, the and I don't want to keep making this about technology or pushing that, but but I feel to a certain extent that if you look at the last a little bit about over 10 years of what's happened on the internet and the ability to give everybody a voice and have these devices where we walk around and we're able to communicate and share and everything. And now we have live streaming and all, all these different technologies. Do you think that that's in any way shaped how you see this conversation around vulnerability and authenticity and, and why people are craving it more and more, either as a backlash to the uh, polished and uh, trimmed and edited life that we show on social media for the uh, purposes of FOMO, or, or potentially mm-hmm. that we're giving people access now in a way that we never could. Do you think that has something to do with either ability to be or not be vulnerable? Absolutely. You know, I mean, I do think that there is, I think, a lot more pressure to kind of manage your image and it is in social channels. You know, I think that, that it's always, you rarely see people on Facebook like posting, man, I just screwed up royally. Like I met with a client and I totally sucked <laughs> or, you know, or I made, you know, a million dollar mistake at work today and I feel horrible. I mean, you only see people posting things. You see people like, yay, today was a great day. I made a great presentation. You know, I traveled to XYZ place and, and they loved me there. And, you know, and I think that there's just this real kind of pressure to keep up this like positive image of yourself. And, and again, I think that to some extent, um, I understand that. And so I don't want to completely rail on. In fact, I'm guilty of it as well. Um, but, you know, at the same time, to your point, there is, I think, some backlash to that. And, you know, I think that people who are willing to be more vulnerable or to share more, you know, kind of personally what's going on with them, I think are the ones who that really people naturally gravitate towards. So um, my answer to you would be, yeah, absolutely. I think that in, in like, just even the last three or four years, I think it's really become both a challenge as well as a growing opportunity. So... Be so that so the advice that you would give to yourself, you go back is to to be authentic and be more real in your work life. And we we've had this little conversation now about vulnerability. So somebody is here listening and they're thinking, okay, that's great advice. I like that. I've seen the Brene Brown talk. I buy into the vulnerability thing. You know, I uh, I think about how technology can allow me to connect with people. It can allow me to research and do all these great things that we've talked about. What's something that you think very actionable that somebody can do in today's day and age to advance their lives or their careers, whether it be through people or technology or or any other advice you might have for somebody who is either stuck in their career or just coming up in their career or feels like they need to take the next step? Yeah, so um, I do. I would point to how you go about building relationships, and um, I think um, being much more intentional about how you cultivate relationships is important. And um, actually, I wasn't aware I was going to do this, but I will give a plug to a colleague of mine. His name is Ed Wallace, and he wrote a first book called "Business Relationships That Last." And then more recently, he just wrote a book, which I'm going to try to remember what it's called. Um, again, on the topic of um, uh, of being intentional with your relationships, and um, and he and his and his whole book like introduces a methodology for how you do it, which sounds a little strange, but I think for most people, you know, they're like they're comfortable with just you know, hey, someone says, you know, hey, Jeff, you should meet Denise. You know, we meet for coffee, we have a great conversation. You know, that's fine, whatever. But what Ed talks about is, you know, if you really want to have valuable relationships with people valuable in every sense of the word you need to be much more intentional about how you how you develop them and one way you do that is by um 
by relating to someone on a personal level and um, sharing, he calls about um, uh, GPS, goals, passions, and the S is going to elude me. <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> um, Anyway, but he, you know, he talks about you want to talk to people about what their goals are, what their passions are, you know, what are their needs, and and you know, um, and really kind of be very open about your own goals, passions, and needs. And I think that um, it's uh, his most recent book is the Relationship Engine, Engine, um, and you know, I think that it requires you to not just have surface level conversations. You know, so for example, yesterday um, I had a coffee with a guy who a mutual colleague had introduced us, and you know, immediately I was like, we started getting into I want to say like deeply personal things, but we were talking about our points of view about um, you know uh, com consumerism and waste and how you make decisions about what to buy and and you know uh, how how can be more, more responsible. Um, social citizen and, and you know and it's kind of one of those conversations is like this is a more interesting conversation than oh what movies did you see or you know what interesting places did you go travel to which we also talked about you know but I think that like just kind of get it level and then it led very very neatly into me saying you know it's a priority for me whenever I meet people to understand is there anything I, that I can do to help them or to be of value to them? So I'm just going to ask you, Stephen, like, can you think of anything that I could do for you or any ways that we could work together that would be valuable to you? And then we had a great conversation about that. And I think that just kind of being like, um, kind of laying your cards out on the table and kind of being intentional about how you cultivate relationships is really important. Yeah. And I think if you just stay at that, so... So what do you do? Type level of conversation yeah. or like nice weather. There's no way you're yeah. ever going to get into that space where you can find a mutually beneficial purpose for that relationship. If if you talk about somebody's vision, their purpose, their goals, their passions, now you have a better sense of who that person is, what's valuable and important to them. And when you can help them get towards things that are actually meaningful to them and deep inside of them, it's going to be a, a much better basis to formulate a deep relationship than if it's just about, oh, you like that movie, let me let me send you a, a funny animated gif about that, and that's how we'll we'll carry on our relationship. You are absolutely right, Jeff. Yeah, so I think it's, it, that's that's a great key point for anyone listening is that it's the it's the depth of that relationship, being intentional to learn about people at a, at that deeper level, so that those relationships can result in much more when you when you use your generous spirit to help people accomplish what they're looking for, and that gives them the opportunity to do it with you as well. Yes, great okay. points, great points. All right, so <laughs> so I have one last question for you. Um, I, actually, I asked you the one last question. I want to I ask you some rapid-fire questions. Are you ready for the rapid-fire section? Oh, okay. I should have gotten coffee beforehand. <laughs> no, it's totally cool. Yeah. You can do these. They're, they're going to okay. be super fun, okay. though. All right. <laughs> All right, so here we go. I've got uh, five rapid-fire questions for you. The first one is, what are the apps in the dock of your phone, the, the ones that are right along the bottom? What are the, the four or five apps, whatever they are? Okay, I'm going to look, so I'm, I'm true to my word. Um, Waze. For sure. Like, especially now that I live in San Francisco, I have no idea where I'm going, but Waze tells me. Um, uh, I have, like, a program called Handheld Contact, which is on my contact database, which is really important. And then probably the last or last two are Evernote and Pocket. Oh, so Evernote I is love it. You know, where I keep all of my notes. Yeah, and the Pocket's where I, like, have the stuff I want to read. Excellent. So, pocket, uh, or I'm sorry, Evernote is one of the ones in my doc as well. I cannot live without it. It's where all of my <laughs> thoughts go. Yeah. 
Awesome. Good list. Okay. Uh, next question. What's the one application, mobile or desktop or uh, internet-based, that you cannot live without? If everything else were to basically leave your your phone or your desktop or the internet, this is the one thing you would still need. Well, I hate to admit it, but it's actually Outlook. And actually, that's the primary reason why I'm, st- why I'm still a PC and why I have an Android phone as opposed to going completely to iPhone and iMac is because I have like a huge database and outlook of all of my contacts and all of my like emails from, you know, 15 years ago. And um, I, yeah, I just can't live without it. It's funny. Um, I, I have a theory that that is going to be the number one answer. Uh, when I ask these rapid fire questions, because it's it's just so embedded in from the even from the early days of our internet and technology usage, Outlook has been there through and through from the beginning. So I yeah, fully and it's it. and it's so uncool, but it's true. Yeah, it totally is. <laughs> all right, next question: If all social sites in the entire universe were deleted tomorrow, except for one, and you're the person who gets to choose which one lives on, which would live on? Oh. I, I'm a huge fan of Twitter, but uh, I, I don't think that's a very popular answer right now. But that's where I get all of my, uh, you know, most of my news. It's where I connect with most of the people, where I've met most of the people. So, yes, Twitter. Well, well, you are episode number two, and the first answer was Twitter, and my answer would be Twitter. So it's a very popular answer on this show. Oh, okay, all right. Well, three's a, you know, three's a trend there. You go. Yeah. All right, next question. And you cannot answer, the answer cannot be your book because that's a given. But what is the one book that every business person should read? Eating the Big Fish by Adam Morgan. Um, It's a book that he wrote um, probably now 20 years ago. I think he recently updated it, but it's all about challenger brands and how challenger brands um, challenge like the market leader um, to become the thought leader or the kind of the standard bearer in the category. And it's it's an excellent book. Excellent. That's a great answer, and I'm going to add it to my list. All right, final uh, rapid-fire question is this, and I love this question as much as anything I ask anyone. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? I want to answer carefully. I'll tell you that the first answer that came to my mind was to read other people's minds um, but then I realized that might not be such a good thing. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I'll, I'll stick with that for now because I think for it, the good could outweigh the bad. To really know what people wanted and needed, so that I could, um, yeah, I could, I could, yeah, I could use that for good. Would it be selective, or would it be like the sort of thing like you can't turn off? So, it's certainly, if you wanted to, you could. Mm, yeah, I think it'd be great if I could turn it off. Yeah, um, because you yeah, wouldn't always right. want to know. You'd be like, you know what? I'm just going to uh, let this. I'll put this on mute for the moment. <laughs> right, right. Okay, yeah. fair point. I love that question because I think that the superpower that you choose always tells you something about the person. Hmm. I find it fascinating. Um, I'm not sure what. Yeah, so I'm saying not sure what message I conveyed with that, but I guess I'll find out from your listener. Well, I would say reading people's minds, in my opinion, there there are a couple things. One, it either you want to use it for – so with every superpower, there's two sides of it, right? There's either you want to use it for 
nefarious purposes or you want to use it for the good of humanity. So understanding what people think allows you to tap into their hopes and dreams and desires and better serve them. That's the obvious way that it could be used for good. But understanding people's vulnerabilities or what they're thinking about is a way that you can also manipulate them and take advantage of them. So with every superpower, there's the potential for good and bad. By the way, I'm a huge comic book nerd and uh, this last that last rapid fire question is purely for my own entertainment and interest um, but I do think it's it's an interesting question because it really tells you something about people yeah for sure I'll have to remember that one yeah well Denise you have been so wonderful to come on to the show and spend some time with me I know that you are super busy and you were nice enough to come and spend some time with us I'd like to take this last part of the show and just give you an opportunity to tell people what you're working on where they can get involved with you how they can help you how they can contact you anything at this point that you feel like pitching and telling people about um, you know you've you've been nice enough to even go vulnerable and deep on these questions with us <laughs> tell people where they can you know learn more about you and what you're working on well, thanks. I appreciate that opportunity. And I would really just point people to two things. One is my website, deniseleon.com. Um, from there, you can get information about my consulting, my speaking, my writing. Um, you can sign up for my newsletter, blah, blah, blah. Um, the other thing I point you to is to my first book, What Great Brands Do, um, The Seven Brand Building Principles That Separate the Best from the Rest. And you can get, again, you can get information. In fact, you can download a, a, the first chapter for free off of my website. Um, but then you can you know, buy the book. It's available hardcover, softcover, ebook, audio, et cetera. Um, it really explains how I believe great brands got to be the way they are, how they achieve brand leadership. And it has all to do with using your brand uh, as the thing that drives, aligns, and guides everything your organization does. So, um, you know, I, I, I um, was hoping to, in writing the book, to influence the, the conversation, the business conversation about how great brands are built. So I would just encourage people to, to look at that. And then um, the last thing I'd say is, as I just said, Twitter is the primary way I connect with people. And so I'd love um, to connect with you. Uh, my handle is Denise Leon. And um, it's just it's just been a wonderful way for me to meet all sorts of great people. And so I would enjoy um, connecting with everyone who's listening to this on that. Excellent. And just one more thing. I know that you have been getting more recently into speaking engagements. So if there are any uh, people listening who are event planners, you're looking for great speakers, people who know a ton about brand Denise is clearly one of the people that you want to reach out to. So all of the contact information will be in the show notes for this episode. Please be sure to give, uh, give her a, an email or a call and, uh, and just check in with her and see if she's available. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate you mentioning that. Of course. Got to give you that shout out. Um, so <laughs> again, thank you so much for coming on to the show. And for all of the people out there who are listening, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Please go over to iTunes and subscribe to our show. Give us a rating. Tell us how much you loved everything about this episode. Or if you didn't like it, <laughs> be sure to tell us that too so that we can improve. And we will see you on the next episode of Shareable. That was so much fun. I can't even believe the guests that we get. I mean, can you believe the guests that we get? I can, actually. I schedule them. Awesome. Well done. Well, this episode for me was an absolute blast, and I hope everyone listening really enjoyed it. But now that we're in this fun little outro, what should people do next? Hmm. I think they should check us out on iTunes. Definitely go check us out on iTunes. And when you get there, subscribe, drop us a review, and then what's that one last thing we want them to do? Share the episode. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's in the name. So please share this episode. Tell everyone you know. And we'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. 
Bye.